everybody, and welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast. Got another good show lined up for you as we all try and uh, and recover and rehab from a spectacular show in Clearwater. Um, I'm Beth Mowens, Michelle Smith, Holly Rowe, Jen Schroeder, Jenny Dalton Hiller with us, also Jay Mack and Buzz on the program. We're going to hear from Larissa Anderson, the head coach at Missouri. They had a fun weekend this weekend. We'll preview the Mary Nutter Classic and we'll introduce you to the J-Mac Minute, something special and brand new for you on the show. And of course, everybody wants to know uh, what's happening with Sis and Shellnut. So we'll get into that a little bit also. Uh, but uh, you can get your lineup card on your social media, uh, on your Instagram and Twitter at 7 Innings Podcast is the follow. Smitty, we'll start with you and uh, your takeaways from Clearwater and quite a show of four, uh, four days, 40 games. And uh, UCLA certainly emerged as uh, the winner of, the, of that. Well, a year of planning. I'm super proud of uh, where our sport's at. Over 12,000 fans seeing games this weekend. City of Clearwater, Pinellas County, obviously ESPN events. Uh, just amazing that we have Softball on television in February, great weather. Uh, I continue to really be excited about this event and, and watching it grow. Yeah, I had such a good time watching games. Two matchups in particular I would love to talk about. Saturday night, Mizzou JMU. Mizzou goes in as the only undefeated SEC team at the time. They take JMU to extra innings, and JMU pulls out the win. It was dramatic. It was fun. The field was packed. It was incredible. And then the second one was our Sunday night ESPN2 matchup that felt like we were at the World Series. FSU versus UCLA, a 3-2 ball game that comes down to the final inning. Incredible atmosphere. Megan Frama with 13 Ks, but it felt like it was going to go Florida State way for a little bit. Uh, UCLA rallying back, but just an incredible electric atmosphere. Yeah, I, I thought that was, um, it, it did feel like we were in Oklahoma City and just great to see uh, the back and forth between those two squads and, and of course UCLA does end up getting the win late. Uh, we, we had it all. It had drama. It had good pitching. It had stellar defense and it had clutchness all over the field. So that was, that was really cool to watch. We, we got a glimpse of, uh, like an Oklahoma state with the transfers. Carrie Eberly uh, got a save against her former team in, in Virginia Tech. We, we also saw some upsets and, and we love to see that around the country. Number one, Washington. Number uh, five, uh, uh, five, Florida State. Number nine, Alabama. All suffered losses for the first time in Clearwater. Uh, Kentucky lost. We also saw Oklahoma upset, and then they came right back and beat Arizona. So there were some unbeatens uh, that get not, that got knocked out of the ranks. And and one of the things we love to see is the is the competition. Teams elevate their game, and then also uh, just the the excitement of what we see on the field when these teams pull off big upsets and really make their days. Well, Beth, to me, that just means parity. It is amazing how many great teams there are that can beat anybody, ranked, unranked, and our sport is emerging more and more because we have great players all over the country playing for programs, and 
This is what makes it fun. Who's going to be those eight teams going to the Women's College World Series? It could be anybody. Right. And you look at Tucson this weekend where Oklahoma and Arizona were playing. Uh, Oklahoma played Long Beach State twice last week in Mexico. They beat them both times. And then Long Beach State comes and upsets Oklahoma in Arizona right before they have to go play Arizona. And of course there's drama there because Mariah Lopez gets the ball against her former team. And that game goes extra innings. It goes in Oklahoma's favor, but I mean, tough after rebounding against Long Beach state, that's a huge loss for them. Yeah. I, I, that one of the things that um, just makes this sport so special and, and really a lot of the other women's sports, they don't shy away from the big matchups they don't shy away from um, giving the smaller schools an opportunity. You get a good blend of that throughout the weekend. So you have these monster matchups, UCLA, Florida State. But then, you know, Patty Gasso plays her, her alma mater, uh, Long Beach State, and, mm-hmm. and those guys get a chance to prove what they can do on the big stage. We're going to see a lot more of that at the Mary Nutter Classic and, and several of the other tournaments that are still uh, – going to be happening in the next few weeks. We'll get to uh, the Mary Nutter in just a moment, but it kind of brings us to that early season angst where you go into these games and you're not really sure what you're going to get from a consistency uh, basis. You're not really sure what you're going to see from your pitchers who may be throwing uh, for the third time in two days, and, and they haven't necessarily done that since fall ball or maybe even since the NCAA tournament a, a year ago. Um, you know, Smitty and Jay Shro, you guys went through this in your career in that dugout, in that, in those practices now, when you go back home for a few days to get ready for the next weekend, this early season angst of uncertainty, how do you deal with that? How do you turn some of the negatives perhaps into a positive and how do you not get too high after one big weekend? So you don't come back down to earth the next. Right. First and foremost, preseason is so different because you're playing so many games. So it's not like regular season where you're playing a game a day and you could get comfortable. You're playing five, six games a weekend. And so a lot of people are getting a lot of reps and innings and it's hard to create consistency. So that is difficult for a player and a coach, I'm sure. I really want to talk about Washington here because everybody had very high hopes for them. And I still think personally that they're going to be in it. Final eight teams, hopefully in that national championship game. But Gabby Plain comes from playing with Team Australia. She's in Australia, comes back, hasn't gone to school, and is just not pitching very well at all. And we can kind of see Washington almost imploding a little bit. They're still getting wins, but they don't look dominant. They look like they're playing very tight, and they're not playing postseason Husky softball. Yeah, and this is a time of the year when you learn a lot about yourself as a player, as a coach. You're not prepared like you are on those single-day games like you talked about, Jen. I mean, as an athlete, you have to be prepared for the unprepared, uh, for being unprepared and be comfortable being in a game knowing that, Hey, I may not know this pitcher. She might be a freshman or I may not have this, the scouting report that I'm used to having going into AB. So you become a more reactionary athlete on the field. And I think that's a big learning step for a lot of younger athletes still being confident and saying, Hey, I can still get this done, even though I may not have. Um, like all the tools or all the, the preparation that I'm used to having. I think the other thing too is your mentality. You have to stay positive. Um, 
in all aspects, no matter how many times you stub your toe, you know, a little bit of bad medicine, bad tasting medicine is good for you. It makes you work harder uh, and tells you what you need to work on to be better. And if you've had a lights out um, tournament, like say maybe UCLA, you have to say, hey, we did good, but this, these are still the things we can work on because you know if you're going to win a national championship, there's always going to be adversity you have to overcome. So there's always big learning lessons early on in the season. And you don't win national championships in February. Right. So if you're playing poorly, you're reminding yourself it's only February. Nothing's won in February. And then on the flip side, if you're playing really well like UCLA – I mean, as an alumni, I'm almost holding my breath because we're relying on really one pitcher right now. So is that going to pan out for us come late May, early June? Just I think remembering that nothing is won in February is very important. And then also, if you're a player who's getting minimal reps and you're trying to earn a spot, I think that's another issue where pressure becomes so important because if you're getting a rep and just one game, one opportunity, it's hard to not put pressure on yourself. So just trying to take it one pitch at a time, one inning at a time, I think is very important at this stage of the game. The other group that I, I like to watch, uh, uh, you know, early on in, in the season are the freshmen. And I think it was uh, Lonnie Alameda was talking to us, the Florida State head coach. You know, she started, I think, five or six newcomers in the lineup there in that final game against UCLA. And 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 it was almost an introduction to the big leagues is the way that she described it. You you haven't faced this kind of competition before in high school. How do you respond uh, to the uh, the seventy mile an hour rise ball? How do you respond to the television lights uh, on you playing in prime time and, and those kinds of pressure situations? These are big growth experiences for a lot of the youngsters or a lot of players now that we see enter the transfer portal from a smaller school into a bigger school because they want to challenge themselves against the best. And and we, we saw some of those rise to the occasion. We saw some of those youngsters uh, struggle at times. And, and we know they play key roles as we move forward. Um, the other thing that I keep an eye on this time of year is what kind of shape are you in? What were you doing in the off season, what were you doing over the holidays? Um, some people are coming off of surgeries and injuries. Uh, what is your diet like? These are all huge components uh, uh, as you move forward and as you get deeper into the season. May not show up yet, but when you're playing your 40th and your 50th game uh, in the oppressive heat sometimes in the southeast and the southwest in, in uh, April and May, you know, they are a big part of this game now. And how are you handling it? Well, I think that the big part of what you said, how are you handling it? And back to your point, Beth, is that uh, Lonnie Alameda, it was six newcomers. It was a transfer shortstop and five freshmen. So a sophomore and five freshmen that started that game, that championship game, I guess you could call it against UCLA. So good stuff. And also from an injury perspective, uh, you're looking at Oklahoma. G. Juarez has gotten the ball in just a few innings this year, mm-hmm. and Oklahoma is still winning with young talent. They graduated a stellar senior class last year, and there's a ton of freshmen, Beth, that are stepping up and getting it done offensively for them. Yeah, the, the other thing too that we, um, you know, coaches I think especially take into into mind when they are building their schedules is. Uh, trying to figure out just how good we are going to be. Can we play 10, 
ranked opponents in the first month of the season, or do we have to kind of ease our way into it? Um, I, I think it, that strategy works for some teams, but I, I know for all of us as competitors, we want to challenge ourselves against the best and we want to beat the best. And I, I think as we move down to number four now on our lineup card in our batting order today, a day at the beach for the Bruins, um, uh, that's that's a play on on being in Clearwater, not necessarily that, uh, that, that they <laughs> didn't have any. LA. Yes, <laughs> that, that they didn't have any challenges, but uh, they they came out of that uh, having a big weekend. They came out of Clearwater still undefeated. Uh, we can talk about our our uh, seven innings podcast player of the week. I'm going to assume that it might be a UCLA player. Um, but what did we learn about uh, about the Bruins? Because they, too, losing, obviously, Bubba and Rachel to the Olympics, they, too, had a lot of new faces in the lineup. And the adjustment that Megan Faramo has to make, you know, the number two pitcher is one thing. The go-to girl is a whole different story, and that's what she's adjusting to this year. Well, I think it's very interesting. <clears throat> At the start of the season, once everybody knew that Bubba Nichols and Rachel Garcia were gone, I think it was like, oh, poor UCLA. <laughs> I think a lot of people were like, oh, you know, they, they might have had a chance to repeat, but oh, now probably not not so. And then and you see them in Clearwater and you're like, holy cow, look how good this team is. Look how good these freshmen are that are coming in. Look at how these um, other athletes are stepping up. You got to love it. So my takeaways were the Perez's or so Genevieve Perez uh, making her comeback. An amazing story. She was lights out, two big home runs. Brie Perez at shortstop, one of the best athletes in the game. We talk about Sis Bates, but Brie right there as well. Aaliyah Jordan, she's hitting almost 600. Maya Brady, the newcomer, lights out athlete. Um, and then Faremo, she was just stellar in the circle. Fremo had 13 strikeouts against Florida State. And last weekend, a lot of people were giving UCLA a little bit of slack. You're playing Bakersfield. You're playing San Diego. So this week was their first real big test, right? In 11 games, they've scored 102 runs. They're averaging almost 10 runs a game. And Genevieve Perez, obviously, comeback story, being a mom, having not played for two years, four of her five hits were for extra bases. Two home runs. She didn't get enough at bat last week against the Baker's fields. So her first real live pitching is against Monica is against Montana Fouts. Excuse me. I almost said Monica Abbott. I don't even know why they kind of look alike. <laughs> and then Brady with 16 RBIs and we can't not talk about Aaliyah Jordan. Yeah. She may be one of the most underrated players in the game. She was eight for 14 this week. She had a hit and RBI in every single game. Uh, at UCLA, better hitters or better pitching, Michelle, right now? Um, you know what? I, I love Faremo. And of course, being a pitcher, like I'm a homer, I want to <laughs> say pitching. But no, actually, I think that their best defense right now is their offense. They're putting, I think, coming into the championship game, they were scoring 10 runs a game. When you have that sort of run support for your pitchers, it takes a lot of pressure off of them, allows them to to know going out into that circle, I can make a mistake. It's going to be okay because my offense has my back. So I think right now the offense for UCLA is just is lights up. And don't you think that creates momentum Absolutely. for defense? It feels like they're feeding yeah. off of one another right now. Yeah. And even their outs against Florida State were incredibly hard hit balls. It was a fun game to be at. Yep. And I don't want to discredit Florida State no. either mm-hmm. because Florida State played incredibly, but. Definitely UCLA, the winner this week, I think, overall in college softball. 
All right, so I, I think are we ready to uh, uh, name uh, Megan Faremo as our seven innings podcast player of the week? What was it? Three? She have three wins, right, over ranked opponents? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that she gets my vote. All right, she is our uh, seven innings podcast player of the week. We got to get a good award for that one. We're working on that one. Um, but you you referenced um, Florida State, so let's move on to uh, number five in the lineup. Uh, and I, I think something interesting for all fans of college softball, because it was so huge this weekend, uh, they were playing um, on Sunday night without Anna Shellnut. Uh, we see a lot of injuries around the country this time of year. And certainly there was a lot uh, of social media hysteria about what was going on with Sis Bates and Washington uh, after Sis missed the first games of her career this weekend and and was unable to play for the Huskies. And so we wanted to kind of pull back the curtain um, in our world as sportscasters and reporters and how we have to deal with information we get or don't get um, in this day and age of social media and how everybody wants news and they want it now. And we are, of course, concerned with getting you information in a timely fashion, but also getting it right and also thinking about the well-being of the student-athletes and respecting how schools and programs handle their PR and their news dissemination in, in different ways. And so we, we got a good look at that this weekend with how Washington chooses to, to deal with their information dissemination and how Florida State does. And neither way is right or wrong. Uh, it's just how you choose to deal with that. And so we did not get a lot of information initially on why Sis Bates was out. Um, it has come to light now this week. The school did confirm that uh, that uh, she got hurt and is in the concussion protocol. We hope that she will be back, could be able to return as early as this weekend when they, they head to Southern California. Um, on the other side was how Florida State handled uh, Anna Shelnut. We did see her, obviously, get hurt in a game. Sis did not get hurt in a game. She got hurt, as far as we know, uh, before they took the field. So they, uh, uh, Florida State, was handing out information immediately, telling us what was wrong, telling us that she had been um, discharged from the hospital. And then if you watch the game on Sunday night, uh, we actually were able to procure a video of, of her wishing her teammates well. And so, you know, it, it's it's how we have to maintain relationships. We don't want to burn any bridges. Uh, so we, we maintain relationships with coaches and sports information directors and athletic departments. And, and it really is trying to respect each other's right to um, give us information how they choose to but also us doing our due diligence. Hey, we're here to document the games and tell the stories of what is happening. And that was a huge deal uh, for everybody in softball that Sis was not on the field and everybody wanted to know why. And Beth, like you said, there's no wrong or right way to do it. It's up to the university. However, of course, as broadcasters, it makes our jobs a little bit tougher when we don't have the information and when everybody on social media is asking questions. With Anna Shelna, she's posting videos, there's photos, it's so public, and Florida State is being very vocal and honest with granting information. And then with SIS, now, of course, it didn't happen in a game. 
but she's just not in the dugout. She's nowhere to be seen. And then all of a sudden come Sunday, she's in the dugout with earphones, sunglasses. And of course it looks at that point, like it's a concussion, but there's no information to go off of. So you don't want to report something that's inaccurate, uh, but I think it makes it tough for us to do our jobs uh, and also respect the integrity of the athlete at the same time. We hope both of them are okay, recover. We hope we get to see them play as soon as possible. Uh, but I, th- I think it does create a conversation over what's the right thing to do, or is there even a right thing to do? What's the better thing to do? I think it makes it tough. Well, I think you said the key word, uh, BMO, is that at, we're here to document the game. We're here to analyze it and break it down, but document the game and, and what's going on. And with Sisbase starting shortstop, never having missed a game in her career, it obviously leads to a lot of, wow, what's going on? Why isn't she playing? And, and so I think some people think it's not gossip. We're not looking for like, Hey, what's the, you know, we want to be on that inside circle and what gossipy, but we're documenting. We're like, we're laying it out there. So five years from now, people can say like, Oh yeah. Remember when Washington was in Clearwater for the big tournament and sis didn't play, they dropped their first game and blah, 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 whatever. So I think that's the thing to remember is that we're really doing our job for the good of the sport, for the good of the fans, for the good of the universities. And I think sometimes people forget about that. Um, some programs are just more open than others. I always tried to to respect whatever a coach's um, wishes are. They tell me lots of stuff off the record and I will never break that trust with them. So, you know, it's tough at times, but, um, you know, when when coaches have their wishes, those are what we have to abide by. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I I think a lot of people are, um, unaware of, you know, the, the, how reporters work and, and how, how sportscasters work. And, you know, you, you know, these coaches, um, you develop, uh, friendships with them over the years, seeing them all the time. You guys, uh, play, you know, Smitty, uh, sorry to aid you. You played with a lot of these coaches. (laughs) Shro in the know, you have, you are friends with a lot of the current players. And so there are often two hats you wear as a friend and colleague, but also, hey, I'm, I'm here in a professional um, space trying to do my job. And, and so there's, there's a lot of balance that goes on. Smitty, you hit on the word um, trust. We have to, out in the field, um, work with coaches and players and administrators face to face. And so that information back and forth is a very delicate thing and and how um, we choose to handle the information that we collect and how that gets reported to people is is a fascinating study in in the the interaction we have as as people and and professionals and so that I, I hope that kind of gives our our, our fans um, you know a little um, pull back the curtain and, into how that works and we may hear things about cis or shell nut, but you know, you, you have to have a couple of sources. You have to have corroboration from somebody at the university. Um, and, and I do know, um, Jen, as a friend of sis's, I think she reached out to you, yeah, right? As, as a friend. And she just wanted to let me know that she was going to be okay. But like you said, Beth, it is tough because I do have friendships with a lot of these players. And I think first and foremost, we just want to make sure that their safety is protected. Yeah. We care about them as people. And so it did feel good that she reached out and just said, Hey, I'm thanks friend. I'm, I'm going to be okay. I, 
appreciate you. Uh, but just so we know that she's okay as a human being, not even a yeah. shortstop or a softball player. Certainly looking forward to having, uh, having both of those, uh, guys back out on the field in a, in a timely manner and, and, um, you know, something that we'll be uh, obviously talking about a lot, uh, you know, part of the game is that people get hurt and, and hopefully are able to bounce back quickly. Um, I thought it said a lot about Florida State, uh, that they played so, um, hard against, uh, UCLA without her. And I, I thought it said an awful lot about, uh, Washington too, that I, I think without Sis, they had three. Uh, come from behind wins and, and even though they suffered their first defeat, they, they showed a lot of grit, uh, playing on without her and, uh, and some really exciting, uh, softball for us. Um, moving down the lineup card now, time to hear from Horo and Missouri head coach Larissa Anderson. Joining us now is Missouri head coach for the softball team, Larissa Anderson. And coach, I'm not sure any team in the country is off to such a great start that maybe we didn't expect. How have you guys come out of the gate? I think nine and two, just really a hot team all, the, all this early in the season. How have you done it? You know, it's we're sending a message. Um, you know, we understand the, the sanctions are against us and we're not going to be qualifying for any postseason play. So our mission the entire year has been every single game we're playing, we're playing as though we're in the College World Series because we know we're not going to be there in the end. So, I mean, they're competing and they're fighting, and I think it's a it's a winning for a different purpose now. It's going out and, and proving that we do belong, even though we know we're not going to be there. And so for people who are not familiar with the situation, the NCAA sanctions that it was from a previous administration, previous team. You know, I guess some of some there's some parts of us that don't want to see this team and these kids who weren't here and didn't have anything to do with that penalized, and you weren't here as a coach, obviously. Um, but, but you guys are making the best of it. I thought it was really interesting that nobody transferred when they found out these, the appeal was denied and that there would be sanctions. Nobody left this program. How did that happen? You know, I think that's probably the most proud statement I have. Um, you know, especially the way that college athletics is right now. You know, people can transfer the drop of a hat and you can softball, you can leave mid, mid year and leave in the fall and go play somewhere else in the spring. And every single kid came in when we had our exit meetings after the fall semester and said, this is exactly where I want to be. I absolutely love Mizzou. I'm so proud to play next to my teammates. I'm not going to be on the sidelines and watch them play. You know, we're going to fight through this together. And, and I think that's just a remarkable testament to their will and their, and their strength that they have. Um, but it's also teaching them that we're going to face adversity in our whole life. And, you know, we're playing for a diff- different purpose right now rather than playing for that championship. We're going to play for a championship culture and, and making sure that we really understand what our values are and why we play this game now. And you've used the word fight. I think I saw in your record you're something like three and one in extra inning games or, you know, two and one when you are up by just barely a run and you've had to really come back. This team has shown fight this early in the season. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we talk about, yes, obviously we have, you know, the sanctions hanging over our head, but, you know, diversity is no big deal to us because we've dealt with so much off the field that, you know, being in the batter's box with a 3-2 count, the game on the line is no big deal anymore, you know, because we face greater, greater challenges. So, and, and I think the purity of the game is what they've realized that they're playing for. They're playing for the fun of it. They're playing for the pure enjoyment. Um, they realize what their why is now rather than just going out and, and saying, well, I have to win a championship. Now it's, you know, I'm competing every single game for the purity of the game. So tell me a little bit about your pitchers. I saw that both pitchers have wins already this early in the season that you really have some, some depth in the circle. We do. We have we had five pitchers that had wins the, the first week. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive to have five five starting pitchers um, where I can now manage the game almost like baseball. 
um, so I can have some matchups and I can be able to bring in some people for for one batter or one inning, um, which makes it really interesting. And then also at the same time, my pitchers know that they could be going into the game at any moment. That builds that depth and that competition from within. I love that. Okay, tell me about a couple of positional players to watch out for, some people who've been impressive defensively for you. I think our biggest key is having Kayla Kessinger back. Um, She had a red shirt last year because of of an injury. Um, She played in in two regional teams her freshman and her sophomore year, so getting that experience has been really um, beneficial for our team. Um, Brooke Wilmus in center field is one of our key leaders. She's our leadoff hitter that really sets the tone. And then Hattie Moore behind the plate with three freshman pitchers, um, a transfer a junior transfer, she's really mentoring those those freshmen, and I think having such great key leadership um, in our junior class is really going to mentor our freshmen for their entire career. And and part of our message is we're going to go to the College World Series, and I think the establishing the culture this year in understanding why they're playing is going to set up the future teams. Um, and I've made a promise to those those players on this team right now that when we go to the College World Series, I'm paying for those kids to come to the World Series to be a part of it because they will be a part of it. Oh, that's so beautiful. Is They are building that foundation right now. Absolutely. So they will be in Oklahoma City at yes, some point, one way right? or another. Yes, I love absolutely. it. Well, congratulations. Just one of the hottest starts in the country for Missouri softball. So excited for you. You're new to this program. Second year, right? Second year. And um, I, I had been around you a little bit before with your previous job, and I'm just proud of what you've done. Just tell me quickly... Who was one of your key mentors, and what has really put you on this path? I mean, absolutely Bill Edwards. I mean, I worked for him at Hofstra for 13 years and then took over his program, and I was so proud to be able to do so. And, you know, he continues to follow us. He was down in Florida this past weekend watching us play, and and it's neat to hear from him that when he watches the Mizzou softball team, he said Hofstra's now in the state of Missouri. Oh, that's perfect. I, I fell in love with your Hofstra team when we had you guys in the regional finals against USF a few years ago. So I've been keeping my eye on, on Hofstra, but also your career. Congratulations, and keep pl- keep playing hard for the love of the game. That's what the Missouri Tigers are doing this season. Thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks. Well, that Missouri story uh, obviously will continue throughout the season. Uh, unfortunately, they will not be able to be a part of the postseason with us, but uh, they, they can really um, – um, make a lot of memories and, and really show us what they're made of throughout the course of the rest of the regular season. Moving down the lineup card now to number seven, it's time uh, for the Mary Nutter Classic. A uh, couple of weekends of some terrific softball uh, out in Palm Springs. And that first weekend lineup, uh, Smitty, will feature Florida UCLA, Florida Arizona, Oklahoma Washington, some of the uh, some of the real blue bloods going to mix it up and some great softball coming up. Well, one of the matchups I'm interested in, the last one you said, Oklahoma-Washington. What is going to happen if G. Juarez, as you mentioned, Jen, has not thrown a lot of innings? She, we know that she had a postseason, uh, excuse me, a preseason injury in the mm-hmm. fall. So trying to see, will she get back into throwing form? And then Gabby Plain, she kind of got roughed up a little bit here in Clearwater. That, to me, is going to be a very, very interesting matchup. But Mary Nutter is always super competitive. Lots of fans, lots of teams. It's just a great event. Yeah, and with Gabby Plain, she hadn't been home or slept yep. in her own bed for weeks, right? So I'm wondering what a little bit of rest, what a little bit of home comfort will do for her. That, I mean, you see this, Michelle, yep. on my list, I've got asterisk ne- next to that matchup. Now, another one I'm super excited for is Oregon versus Northwestern. And when you read the schedule, this one probably doesn't pop out to you. But for me, Oregon is one of our only ranked 
undefeated teams. There's not many. So to me, this is their first test. Northwestern was pre-ranked top 25. They've fallen out of some polls. Every single poll hasn't come out yet at this time. So we're unsure if they're going to be a ranked team. However, uh, when you look at who Oregon's faced, this is their first test. And it's on a big stage in Southern California with hundreds of thousands of fans. So I'm excited for that one. Yeah. And I think Florida is an interesting story too. I think it's still... You know, how are they recovering from Amanda Lorenz mm-hmm. not being in the lineup and then not having that, you know, dominant pitcher in the circle? So I think another young team that's going to go out there, going to be tested at the Nutter. Um, and, uh, I just love saying Mary Nutter. I know. We were talking about that earlier. Mary Nutter, one of the greatest softball people ever. I, I love the fact that, that this tournament is named after her. But yeah, exciting stuff to come for sure next weekend. And Florida has to play both Arizona yeah. and UCLA. It's yeah. the classic SEC Pac-12 rivalry. And Florida has so many California kids mm-hmm. on their roster. So they're going home to play. So yeah. both those Florida, Arizona, Florida, UCLA matchups very much intrigue me. And this is the other thing, you know, not only as fans, how much we love to watch these games and, and how much as, as, uh, sportscasters, we love to cover them. The NCAA selection committee is always watching. And so these head to head matchups, um, make, you know, provide so much, uh, information, so much statistical data for them to pour over later in the season. We talk about, you know, well, you're still learning about yourselves and you are, but, you know, the head-to-head matchups still matter. The SEC versus the Pac-12, uh, whoever has the edge in that, there's going to be a lot more head-to-head matchups coming up in, in the next few weeks. Those are p- points of data and information that the committee and that fans and that us during our games all collect and say, hey, this conference has the upper hand. This team has the inside track to the overall number one seed. And, and we know those things all matter as we move into the NCAA tournament, as we move into Oklahoma City, you want to try and get the easiest path possible to that championship series. And so these are our fun conversations to have amongst all of us in the softball community. And that, uh, that is, that is our thoughts on from, from now we make the transition from Mary Nutter to Holly Rowe. This week on Shagging Stats. Oh, it's our favorite segment in the show. Let's shag some stats. I'm going to start us off with Michigan. As good as Megan Bobian is, I think, what, 5-0 and for Megan to start the season? How about her running mate, Alex Storacco? I'm going to shag some stats with Alex. 13.2 strikeouts per seven innings. Um, it, it puts her in second, but the, the, uh, or third, I, I, I think in the NCAA, but the other two in front of her don't have the innings that she has put in. She's got a couple of double digit strikeout games. And boy, if she is the, the two to Bobian's one, undefeated Michigan is go, is going to be in for big things this year. Smitty? All right. Well, my shag and stats, since you did a pitching one, BMO, I'm going to do a hitting one. And how about Boise State versus Kentucky? That epic game. Boise State hit two grand slams in the sixth inning. That's only the sixth time that's ever been done in NCAA history, which is unbelievable. Two grand slams in one inning. And and didn't the, Clemson I'm, do it too? Yes, yes. <laughs> the last BMO, the last time that was done was 2014, I believe. Okay, so that was the sixth time. The very next day, Clemson does it. <laughs> so one, uh, is that not incredible? That's, that's, a, that's a shagging stat right there. 
<laughs> All right. So Beth, you talked about pitching. Michelle, you talked about hitting as the lone catcher yeah. on our seven innings staff. I'm going to talk about our catchers. And this is a not so great shagging stat, but I think it needs some press. Uh, UW catchers have not thrown a base stealer out since February of 2019. So runners attempted are 20 for 20 against the Huskies. Ooh, that one makes me cringe. All right. We'll see if they can pick that up and, and uh, change that stat in the coming uh, uh, weeks. I I think also the ACC did win uh, the ACC big 10 challenge, right? That was the other big stat of, of this week. That was shagging stats. There's some shagging stats for you, and now we've we've got something new, something special to come your way. J Mac is our uh, is our ace producer of the program, and I think it's time for the J Mac minute. I just love how your voice changes when you introduce me. Beth. I appreciate that. It's just you slow it down a bit, and it's just hey, the J Mac minute. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I, I love going from fan to producer here, but uh, what what I'm really excited about this week is just sort of uh, all the early season excitement. You know, I, there was three thousand people in, in Lafayette to watch LSU versus Louisiana. They did. They played a home yes. and home there. That was great. I myself just got back from the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational, like like you all as well. Um, big shout out to ESPN. You know, company plug. A lot of people put a lot of hard work in. You know, getting that thing off the ground from the cameras people to the execs on down. But uh, I also wanted to shout out like the teams, you know, they there's risk involved in playing these big early season tournaments like, you know, University of Georgia was they had seven run rule wins. And now they took three losses in Clearwater, not because they're a bad team, just because the the level of competition is so good at some of these early season tournaments. And I and I applaud the uh, the, the coaches and the players for, you know, for throwing their hat in the ring. Um, we had a great, great field in Clearwater. There's another great field in Mary Nutter. So I. I just love the early season softball. I love the excitement from the fans, and I love the uh, level of competition from the teams. I'm glad to see that softball is sort of it's it's by having these teams play such a tough schedule early. It, it you know a loss isn't that bad. You know it, it's you just recognize that these losses were against great teams early, and so uh, that that's the J Mac minute for today. Awesome. <laughs> thank you, thank yeah. you, thank you, everybody. Yeah. Yeah, now, if we're going to sell this to the advertisers, J Mac, it's not the J Mac minute fifteen seconds. It's the J Mac uh, minute. So let's keep that in mind. Or we we need to we need to get the J Mac two minute. Okay. I'll uh, talk back. I got. It. Um, I, I'm gonna. Uh, we we got some final shout outs too. I think for the program, I'm gonna shout out the NHL on NBC on March eighth for the Blues and Blackhawks. It's it's all chicks, all broads. Uh, I think it's uh, Renee Hallid and Lisa yeah. Seltzer will so be cool. in the truck producing and directing. And then the announced crew, Kate Scott, Kendall Coyne-Schofield, A.J. Malesko, and then I think uh, Catherine Tappan and Jen Bottrell will be in the studio. Shout out to them. Best of luck. NHL on NBC. Look out for it on March the 8th. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. <laughs> That is so cool. Hey, I want to talk really quick about rankings and people going crazy on Twitter 
for say like an Alabama who has a losing record, but they're still ranked. J-Mac, going off of what you said, you can lose to top competition and still be one of the best teams in the country. So when people are reading these rankings, I really want to urge them to keep that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's a long season and there's very talented clubs just because they stub their toe early doesn't mean um, that, that they're not in a position to still be ranked. Yeah, losses matter for the selection committee, but one of the most important pieces of criteria for me is who have you beaten? And as long as you have some uh, quality wins stacked up, uh, to me that says a lot when it comes time to uh, to selecting and seeding the teams. Uh, Another terrific show on the 7 Innings podcast, Mm -hmm. and uh, thanks to everybody for being a part of it. Don't forget to follow us. On your, um, your Twitter and your Instagram at seven innings podcast. Send us your questions and, and, and your thoughts. Uh, we'd love to have you guys be a part of the show as well. Beth Moans, Michelle Smith, uh, Holly Rowe, Jen Schroeder, and J Mac. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next week. <laughs>